So yeah, we're just reminded this morning that it's God's word for us. Um, this is living and active. Uh, we need it to revive our souls, to rejoice our hearts, to enlighten our eyes. So let's um, set our hearts now and consider the truths of the passage. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for, for being with us. And so we pray because we know... We just thank you for the privilege it is to come and pray to you, Lord. Um, and we yeah, pray that you would show us that even more today. And we pray for Thomas as he comes to speak. Just would you, would, would it be your words um, in his words, Lord? Amen. One, two. Is this on? Yeah, cool. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, I hope you're well. Uh, my name's Thomas. I serve on the, on the eldership. My rock. Don't be dead. When I come here, there's, um, there's more new faces, and that's really encouraging to see. Also, some faces maybe I haven't seen in ages, um, so it's really lovely to see you too. Um, would it be really, like, diva-ish of me to ask for a glass of water? I was actually looking at James, but thank you so much for <laughs> getting that. <laughs> Um, brilliant, that's, that's great, thanks. Um, okay, so um, over in East for the last year, we've had this um, focus, we've been, there's been uh, a year of focusing on prayer, we're, I guess we're halfway through, um, relearning about the role of prayer in our lives as disciples of Jesus, and I know that um, at your members meeting, your first ever members this morning, just so you know, old school. So, um, prayer is one of the kind of the, the focuses uh, for here for the next year, and that's cool, and um, you have your, um, your, your prayer meetings here every other Sunday, and that's great. And there's my water. Thank you so much. Um, so, um, yeah, we're talking about prayer this morning. Um, we're uh, thinking about the Lord's Prayer in particular. Um, prayer, is, uh, prayer becomes our means to establish and maintain our dependence on Jesus. This is what we're thinking about this morning. Uh, the, the words of Jesus, whenever he himself said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Prayer is, this, is what leads us in. Prayer. From Mary and Martha last week. Yeah. So really useful. It's almost like the Bible is divinely written. It's amazing. Um, learning from this story um, that our first and foremost work is to be with Jesus, to communicate with him, not to get stuck into all the doing stuff, that comes after us, but to be. So really, whenever we come to the Lord um, with the questions that the disciples ask here, this, this is our posture. It's a posture of being. 
And the question that they bring to us, or it's almost like a demand or a request, is, Lord, teach us to pray. That's what the disciples say to Jesus. This line reminds me of my strength of people that we admire, those people in your life that you might look to who have deep and joyous relationships with God. Um, you might find yourself um, desiring what they have. And that's exactly how the disciples felt about Jesus. They spent a lot of time with him, but they, and they often saw him in an unprecedented level of dependence on God, a profound intimacy that manifested in every aspect of his life. And they yearn for that. So they, they say to the Lord Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. They see Jesus rise early in the mornings and go and be alone with the Father. They see him go out to the hills. They see him disappear from the crowds. And they see him returning from these places, being in such deep communion with the, the Father. And they want that. They want what Jesus has they're saying, Lord, teach us to be a praying people. How do we get to the point where we actually pray? How do we make it our first instinct in every situation? And that's the question, isn't it? That's what we want the Lord to be doing in us. That's what we're asking of the Lord. And I suppose the first thing maybe that, caught, that might catch your attention is what they're saying. They're saying, teach us to pray. They're, they're not necessarily asking how to pray. They're, they just want the whole thing, right? They want the whole thing. They songs to God. It's incredible. Think of Paul and Silas. Full of prayer. They weren't asking about techniques or methods or the best times, or, um, but, but about cultivating a desire to pray as a response to every possible situation. And so um, we're, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time discussing methods and techniques of prayer, but that, those things are important to talk about. Um, that's not going to be the focus here. We're, we're making our request as simple as possible. Lord, would you give us the desire? Would you bring us to the point where we just pray? Make us a praying people. Lord, teach us to pray. We want prayer to become foundational in our lives. Justice reigns, that, that, that he will reign forever experience. That's what Martin Luther said. He said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. We want to make prayer foundational to our lives as the people of God. Because when we read the Bible, when we read Old Testament, New Testament, that's exactly what we see. Prayer isn't an optional extra. It's foundational. It's essential. And prayer also isn't just, isn't just a gift some Christians have. Sometimes you hear some people have a gift of prayer. And it's true some people are, are real. because he is love. And so we praise him for who he is. To think that they alone have the responsibility of praying. Everybody, for every Christian, prayer is foundational. Saying some people have the gift of prayer is maybe saying like some people have the gift of breathing. Breathing is just as foundational to being a living human as praying is just as foundational as being a genuine child of God. And we see Jesus being the ultimate example of this, don't we? Prayer is so foundational to his life, always praying. The most dependent person who ever lived completely dependent on his father and everything he did. In fact, Jesus spoke of his dependence in John 5, 19, when he said, truly I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. 
Jesus is the only one who lived in such a way. Jesus is the only person who lived on earth who could have done anything, right? Like he had God incarnate, but he chooses to live in a way that submits to the Father and only does what he sees the Father doing. And so far in this series in Luke, we've seen Jesus do incredible things, haven't we? He's casted out demons, he's calmed storms, he's healed people, he's people from the dead, but he doesn't find his identity in the powerful things that he does. He finds his identity in who the Father is. He's always praying, always communicating with his Father. And I think it's interesting to note that Jesus, Jesus isn't only praying when he's in trouble, although he does. He's, he's not only praying when life is hard, although he does that too. And he's not only praying when he's in need, because he does, but he, he definitely does that too. He's just always praying, always in communion with the Father. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. And his disciples see this in him. And there are, like, we could probably spend, like, months talking about prayer and all the different facets of it, the different ways and techniques. You could talk about so much, um, but this is why it's so beautiful that the Lord himself gave us this prayer, and that's what we're going to spend. And even in this, there's so much that could be covered. Uh, there's, a, uh, you know, Ethan mentioned that they're covering the Lord's Prayer in camp, and you could really spend, like, weeks on each little phrase, um, but you'll have to make do with 25, 30 minutes with me. So um, yeah, let's, let's uh, without further ado, let's, let's jump in. Uh, I, let's ask the Lord for, for, for some help as we, as we do that. Um, Lord, we believe in you. We believe in, uh, in who you are and what you have done. We're so grateful for your words that guides us. We want to take it seriously. And particularly this prayer, Lord Jesus, that you gave us. Um, so we ask your spirit to be with us as we look at it and, and, and try to figure out how this applies to our lives. Um, may you be glorified in our time together, Lord. Amen. The king stood in, in a, a much more... Do you want me to use the mic? Yeah, I'll hold it. Oh. Can I hold this? Can I just hold this? It feels like I feel like I'm being, I don't know, like I'm on a, giving like a university lecture if I'm not. All right, more movement now. I'll keep it right. The people of God have. Uh, okay, let's turn to verse one. Um, enough attention on me. Let's look at Jesus. Okay, verse one. Now, Jesus was praying again in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So a bit of context here, it was common for a rabbi to give his followers a prayer that would act as a piece of liturgy that his disciples would pray together. So it's not just a private prayer, although it can be. It's primarily a communal prayer. Just notice all the plurals through this prayer. Our Father, give us each day, forgive us our sins as we lead us not into temptation. It's a communal prayer. So what happens when they ask Jesus to teach them to pray? Well, he obliges. 
And I think this is interesting because how often does Jesus get asked questions and he doesn't answer it directly. He answers it with more questions or he talks about something else. But there's and there's times in our life whenever we ask Jesus for something and sometimes we get a no or a not yet. But this is one of those prayers that we'll all, he will always answer with a resounding yes. Lord, teach us to pray. Okay, I absolutely will. He answers this request immediately because this is why he has come to earth. Jesus came to make a way for us to be in right relationship with God. And that is accomplished completely and fully with his sacrifice on the cross. But to bring us into relationship with God, a life of total dependence on God and submission to his desires is the sole reason Jesus came to earth. So obviously he responds to their request, request to teach them to pray. And he responds immediately. And for us, in our request, Lord, teach us to pray, we must pay close attention here because his answer to his disciples is his answer to us as well. And if you were to look ahead in this passage, uh, one way of maybe breaking down the next little while, verses 1 to 4, Jesus teaches Jesus what to say. In verses 5 to 8, Jesus teaches them how to approach God when we pray. And lastly, when he's... Listen, church, in, in the face of the world that we live in, 9 and 13, we're just staying in 1 to 4 today, so um, you might be happy about that, but feel free to do like, you know, you're, you're more than welcome to read the Bible yourselves and, you know, read on. That's, that's encouraged, actually. Please do that. Um, so they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And in verse two, verse 2, he looks at them and says, okay, when you pray, say this. So just quickly, just before we look at what to say when we pray, we must see that prayer does and this sounds really strange. Prayer does involve us saying things. Um, prayer involves opening your mouth and things coming out. It involves us speaking. And I feel like every time I'm going to describe something about prayer, it's all. But because our inheritance is secure. Prayer involves us speaking, but prayer isn't always about us speaking, okay? Prayer is also about listening. There's a time in our conversations with God where we have to shut up, where we have to be quiet. Or in scriptural language, be still and know that I am God. Prayer has an aspect of silence and solitude that we have to embrace. We have to listen to him speak. That's most important. And ultimately, God speaks to us authoritatively. <laughs> and finally, in his word in scripture, that he is breathed out. That's the Bible. That's where we hear him speak most clearly and definitively. And every other is inheritance. Incredible. We must learn to listen to the Lord speaking. But that's not all of prayer is. The goal of prayer is not just to sit, you know, like the classic kind of cartoon meditation, eyes closed. On. That's not prayer. The goal is to have relationship with God, which involves listening to him and speaking to him. That's what a loving relationship looks like. To never speak in prayer is like saying your wedding vows and then never speaking to your spouse again, which is not a relationship. In inviting us into relationship with God, Jesus, um, as we've seen over the past chapter of Luke, we've, is, is drawing his disciples to do. And if it was, I would be the worst Christian. And he's increasing their faith. But he wants that faith to result in an intimate, loving, back and forth relationship with God. Tim Keller wrote in his really amazing book on prayer, it's called Prayer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the Spirit, prayer is faith made audible. By the Spirit, prayer is faith made audible. I love that. By the Spirit, 
or like as this is God's work in us. Prayer is faith made audible. Prayer involves opening your mouth and speaking to God. And so when Jesus says, when you pray, say, and look at what he tells us to say. He says, our Father, pray. When the first thing he invites us to, uh, the, the, the first thing he invites us to say when praying to God in heaven is Father. As I just said, Jesus has come to earth to invite us into a loving relationship with God. And so he says, when you pray, say, Father, because through me, through what I'm going to Jerusalem to accomplish on the cross, you're invited into that kind of relationship. See, the disciples, remember, they spent so much time with him. They would have heard Jesus praying many times, and they would have heard Jesus praying to God the Father, right? They knew the kind of relationship. They were beginning to see what kind of relationship um, Jesus and the Father had. Uh, like, this was new to them. But right here, Jesus is saying, he's your father too. This isn't just restricted to me and, the, and, and God. Abraham Lincoln is, uh, everybody knows, maybe one of the most famous uh, American presidents. And uh, you probably know he led uh, the country through um, the American Civil War, which was uh, brutal, okay? Estimated 650,000 to Grants us an inheritance, but he is the one who keeps it for us. In American history. And there's a story about a particular soldier who was desperate to receive a compassionate leave from his post to visit a dying parent, but he wasn't getting an answer to his request. And he was in the Washington, D.C. area, and so he decided to go straight to the top and go to the White House to see the president, which obviously turned out to be impossible. So he went away to a nearby park, and he wept. And the story goes that a small boy came up and asked him why he was so miserable. And the man told him his story, and the kid said, come with me. And he led, him to the back, he led him to the gates of the White House, in through the front door, through the corridors, and straight into the president's office. And Abraham Lincoln looked up from his desk and said, what can I do for you, Todd? And Todd replied, Father, there's a man here who would like to speak to you. I don't know if that story is true or not, but that's exactly what's going on here in Luke 11. The son, by nature, shares, us with, shares with us sons and daughters by adoption. We are sons and daughters by adoption. The access that he has to his father, that's what we have now. Jesus says, Father, there's someone who would like to speak to you. There's plenty of biblical like, justification for this. Romans 5 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that's anyone here who's a Christian, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Hebrews 4 speaks of Jesus being our great high priest. Therefore, we can confidently draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in times of need. Romans 8 says we've been given the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba. The language of Abba, Father, is the most intimate way, is the most intimate language, typically associated with how children chase after their parents. Isn't this incredible? Because of Jesus, God is not, is not a force to be plugged into. He's not an idea to contemplate. He's not an experience I feel. He's a person to whom I relate to as Father. Jesus gives us access to the Father as his children. 
we could spend a lot of time there, but I feel like just got to keep on motoring on through this. So that's massive. <laughs> that's new to you. Um, spend some time thinking and praying about that because it's, it's amazing. And then the next word after this, he says, Father, hallowed or holy, maybe as you're more familiar with, holy, hallowed be your name. So it's important to understand, yes, he's your father, but it's also important to understand that he's not just your mate. This is the God of the universe. He's holy. He's different. He's unapproachable, he's unapproachable in his holiness in a sense, yet we can humbly but boldly approach him as our father. And it's really important to understand both aspects of this relationship. He is both father and... Just come to you now and, and, and just be like a kid who says, I am hungry. <laughs> two things. Firstly, we are declaring God's holiness. But we're also praying, requesting that the name of God would be recognized, would be considered as holy by everyone on earth. God, make the world honor your name as holy. Hallowed be your name. And as the holy God of the universe that we know as Father, he is over everything. And because of that, we pray, your kingdom come. So Jesus teaches us as children of God who our Father is. He is God. Just kind of remind ourselves, but almost in a way to, to receive again. This family, we are not the center of attention. So Jesus teaches us to center our prayers on, a, on who God is and on his purposes. I think this is one of the most overt ways that Christianity, that this prayer is so countercultural. I mean, like, our, our, our culture is so uh, preoccupied with the self. You do you, you know, be your own, like, thing. You can do whatever. You, like, the, the self is the most important thing in modern society. And that can feed into our own prayers. And so I reflected just as I'm preparing. Me becoming the center of attention. You know, the biggest thing in my world. But Matthew's version, in Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, it expands to your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's all about focusing our priorities on Jesus, on Jesus, making who he is and his purposes the center of our prayers and of our lives. So as we approach our Father and we rightfully ask him for things, because that's what prayer is, we pray for what we need to come in alignment with his purposes and desires. His will be done. We go to the total other end of the spectrum and suppress all of our desires and wants. Oh, it doesn't matter what I'm feeling really. Like what I want, is that what Jesus is saying? That's, that's not what this prayer is saying. Is that what I want my kids to feel? Of course not. I care about what they feel and what they want. I want them to tell me and to be completely honest because I love them and I'm their dad. So how much more do you think our perfect heavenly father wants this? He invites us to be honest. He just asks us to trust him. And Jesus is our perfect example of how this plays out in real life. Uh, the night of his crucifixion, Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane and he's praying. And he prays, of course he's praying, because that's what Jesus does, right? 
and he prays, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus shows us that we can be completely honest with the Father. He boldly asks him, Father, would you take this cup from me? But in the same prayer, he also shows us to submit to the Father's will, not mine, but yours be done. The Father uses Jesus' incredible submission to his will to save the world. So in prayer, we come to God Almighty in all his holiness, and we can come to him with requests. But before we ask him anything, Jesus says, may God's glory, may God's fame your highest priority. Center your prayers, your requests on who God is and on his purposes. Begin your prayers with praise and adoration. Then having established God's character and authority, Jesus now turns to requests. So in verse 3, we're to pray, give us each day our daily breads. This is a prayer for provision. It's recognizing that God knows our needs. It's a recognition that he is provider. Father, you will provide for us everything that we need, every, because everything comes from you. Bread is meant to encompass everything we need, need in life. It's food, it's clothes, it's shelter, it's the necessities. And again, this is in a, like such a short sentence. This is, uh, this is expressing total dependence on God for everything in our lives, coming to him for every need. So the first request is provision. The second request is for forgiveness of sins. Verses four, verse 4 says, And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. You've probably heard this, this verse said in different translations. Um, but the, the, the gist of it is <laughs> the gist of it is a hallelujah, right? Because God forgives us our sins because of the gospel, the good news of Jesus crucified on our behalf. But this isn't a request for the forgiveness of our sins. It's a call to be a gospel-shaped people. How can we ask from God what we're not willing to give to others, right? We, we must be a gospel-shaped people. We must be ready and willing to extend the grace and forgiveness that God has shown us when we sin against him to others when they sin against us. And this is tough, right? There's a degree of understanding that we have to come to to realize our own sin. Far short we have fallen. And then there's also the fact that we have sinned against other people and we must seek forgiveness. And then there's the reality that people have sinned against us, often maybe in terrible ways. And it's so hard to be able to preach this, but our, 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 our responsibility as followers of Jesus is, is forgiveness. And that's, I'm not saying that that's easy, and oftentimes that's not. But in the, yeah, this is what we have to, what we, what we do as, as followers of Jesus. This is a prayer not just for forgiveness from God, but for a forgiving heart for ourselves. And the last request is for protection and deliverance. Matthew's version of this prayer says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Be careful not to misunderstand this one. He's not saying that God sometimes tempts us. 
James 1.13 says the opposite, okay? That God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one, okay? Like we learned at the start of the prayer, he is holy and incapable of ever enticing us into sin. Rather, he calls us to flee sin, to come out of darkness and into the light. That word temptation in Greek is... Um, it, it, the word temptation in Greek means a sort of testing or trial of some sort. So the meaning here most likely carries the sense, allow us to be spared from the difficult circumstances that would tempt us to sin. This is a prayer for dependence on God as we recognize the power of our sinful flesh. Because each of us has a fleshly desire that we were born with that needs to be put to death repeatedly. It's a battle that rages, and this final request is one for help from the one who has the power to defeat sin. It's a request for protection around us. Not just from the world and the flesh and the devil, but from ourselves, from our own evil inclinations. It's a recognition that there is evil and good in this world, that there is an enemy. This is a prayer asking God to deliver us from Satan, who the Bible describes as, as going about lying and roaring and seeking to devour. One that disguises himself as an angel of light that he may deceive us and accuse us. We're being asked to be delivered from that. There is darkness and there is light. And it's a recognition that we have an inclination towards the darkness. Only God will deliver us from that bring us into the light. So in the grand scheme of our spiritual journey, the Lord's Prayer holds a unique place of honor. This prayer given to us by Jesus himself serves as a model, not merely of the words that we should use, but of the heart posture we should adopt in our communion with God. When we consider that it was Jesus, God in flesh, who delivered this prayer to us, we can't help but realize privilege and honor it is to have such a model for our personal prayer lives. Dallas Willard said, the Lord's Prayer, rightly understood, is one of the high roads into the life of continual and progressive interaction with God. The Lord's Prayer isn't just a script to follow, but it's a pathway into deeper and more meaningful interactions with our Heavenly Father. If you grew up in church, you'd be probably quite familiar with this prayer and maybe have cast it back into the realms of like kids church or like Sunday school kind of stuff because it maybe seems so basic. Um, but I think we need to pay attention to it because it shows us the essence of prayer, conversation, interaction and intimacy with our creator. The Lord's Prayer, when sincerely and mindfully used, carries the potential to transform our spiritual life. Keller says, prayer is the way that truth is worked into your heart to create new instincts, reflexes, and dispositions. I love that. Prayer is the way that truth is worked into your heart to create new instincts, reflexes, and dispositions. The more we pray, the more we are changed, the more we, we, become, we, we step into this life of Christ-likeness. This truth, when reflected in the Lord's Prayer, can radically reshape our understanding of God, ourselves, and the world around us. 
when we begin our prayers by acknowledging God as our Father, our understanding of him is no longer limited to this distant deity, this person, this thing, this being in the sky, but as a close and caring and nurturing parent. When we pray for Jesus' kingdom to come, we're aligning our desires with his, yearning for the ultimate manifestation of his glory and righteousness. As we, request, as we request our daily bread, we acknowledge our dependence on him, fostering a spirit of face to face with our own faults and the immense grace that God shows us day by day. And in asking for his guidance and protection against evil, we yield our lives to his lordship and care. So how then do we take this divine pattern of prayer and incorporate it into our day-to-day lives? Here are a few practical steps. Firstly, I want to suggest to begin, and again, I'm not saying there's nobody in Christianity that says you need to pray this specific prayer every single day, okay? That's not put on you by anybody saying that. This is a really helpful thing to pray every day. Uh, if you were to think about doing that for like a week, for a month, for the summer, whatever, a few tips, okay? So firstly, begin with a mindful approach. And I don't want to say, I feel like the word mindful has been like, there's a mindfulness industry and it like earns crazy amounts of money from people. Um, there's a lot of stuff recently on mindfulness. Um, mindfulness isn't uh, anti-Christian. Mindfulness existed in Christianity long before mindfulness was a thing, right? Um, so it's it's being, it's centering our attention on Jesus is at its simpleness. So be, we, we don't do this as an empty ritual, okay? We, we don't come to the Lord's Prayer as, this is a template that I'm just going to get through and watch my life be changed. It's not, it's not that. It's engaging in it in, in, a, in an earnest way. So as we, as we approach the Lord's Prayer, remind yourself that these are the words of Jesus. Like, I genuinely find liturgies that we say on Sunday mornings and other prayers that saints of years gone by have written, those are super helpful in putting language to some of the things that maybe we understand what's going on. It's really helpful. It's amazing that we have a prayer like that from Jesus himself, and it's just Spending time reflecting on that is super helpful. This is a pattern of prayer that he himself gave us. And maybe let this instill a sense of reverence and expectancy in your heart as you pray. Secondly, reflect and personalize. Maybe try, if, say, if you get a time tomorrow or sometime in the next week, after a phrase, each phrase of the Lord's Prayer, pause to reflect on its meaning and how it applies to your life. And then personalize it. For instance, when you pray, give us today our daily needs. You know your needs. And so does Jesus. So bring them to him. We did that even as we prayed this morning together. And Duncan gave us space to think about our own sin and confess that to God. Do that. Use the Lord's Prayer to draw us into a closer relationship with him. Consider the specific needs we have, our sins, whatever, and lay them before God. Thirdly, use it as a guide. Remember, the Lord's Prayer is a guide. It's not a rigid format. Use it as a starting point and let the Spirit lead you into deeper, more personal prayers. Next, commit to consistency. Like any spiritual practice, consistency is key. And this is where sometimes I think 
empty-mindedness or absent-mindedness can kick in, where we start to just go through the motions, not paying attention to what it is. So, yeah, challenge you to to think about it um, with a full mind and practice it consistently. Commit incorporating the Lord's Prayer into a regular routine in the morning, in the midday, in the evening, set a reminder, whatever. Um, try a bunch of different stuff. You know, try these things. If they don't work, that's fine. Um, but, but try something and be consistent with it for a while. Sometimes it takes a long time for And I'll tell you why. This is the third time I've preached in Village South on prayer. This is the second time I've preached in Village South on the Lord's Prayer. I feel like the Lord's trying to remind me something um, that is not sinking in. So it takes time for these things to sink in. So give it time. Um, a last suggestion, include it in family prayers. Remember that this is a communal prayer. So if you live with others, if you live with other Christians, um, if, if, you know, with your family, with uh, your parents, with your kids, with your spouse, whatever, um, I want to suggest introducing this at like dinner time. This could be a great way to teach younger members of the family about prayer. Um, it's a really simple way to start to instill. So incorporating the Lord's Prayer into our lives, it's not about vain repetition. It's not about grounding ourselves into the foundational truths of our faith. It's about cultivating a heart that mirrors Jesus' heart. It's about, it's about a heart that yearns for God's kingdom, that relies on God's, king, on, on God's provision, that rests in God's forgiveness and is guided by God's hands. It's about utter dependency. And just to emphasize sometimes how long these things take, and speaking from personal experience, how long these things take, before we close, let's con- I want to consider the words of uh, Frederick Denison Maurice, who said, the Lord's Prayer may be committed to slowly learned by heart. Slowly learned by heart. Friends, it takes time to learn how to follow Jesus well. It doesn't come easy. And while a prayer is pretty simple in just a couple of verses, applying it to your life is a, is a long, takes a long time. Don't expect to be able to, you know, pray perfectly, you know, if you're a Christian, if you've only been a Christian for a few years. Um, it takes time. Prayer isn't a one-time act. It's a lifelong process. It's about understanding and internalizing the principles and heart postures embedded in this prayer. Remember, we're not merely saying words. We're not just speaking. We're nurturing relationship. We're engaging with the creator, with our creator. We're expressing our adoration. We're confessing our faults, acknowledging our needs, and surrendering our wills. And as we faithfully commit to this practice, we will witness how this prayer isn't just changing our moments of prayer, but our entire lives, leading us to walk more closely with our Father. Uh, I want to invite you to stand. Um, I want to pray for us and, uh, and bring us to the table. Would you, would you stand as we uh, pray, if you're able to? Uh, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Would you help us understand who our Father is? Teach us what it means to relate to him, to depend on him, not just when life is hard, but every second of every day. May we be a people of total dependence on our Heavenly Father. Would you give us a desire to see your kingdom come instead of building our own? Father, we thank you for meeting our every need. We ask you, um, Lord, we bring to you the needs that we have, trusting in you as our Father.
Thank you for making a way for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for leading us in our lives. Teach us to listen to you and to follow you. We thank you for your gift of the Holy Spirit, your very presence in our ordinary, messy, failing lives. Would you help us to be aware of your presence, to abide with you and to enjoy you? In Jesus' name, amen.